Hey everyone, and welcome to a new Metal Gear-themed podcast. One of my favorite games of all time. I've always wanted to talk about it, talk about the story of the game. And here we're going to be doing that on a new podcast called Metal Gear Salad. Now, my name is Greg, and with me, my good friend Josh. Hello. And we're going to be talking about Metal Gear. Now, a lot of people have talked a lot about Metal Gear in the past. What we want to focus on here is the rich story that the game provides. And over the course of 25 years, the story that built on itself and created this incredible universe. And so what this episode is about, this episode in particular, we're going to be talking about our influences. So this will be one of the only times you hear us talk about Metal Gear in regards to it not existing inside of a game. You know, we're going to talk about our influences, how how we first got into this series, how it affected us, just so that you know a little bit about us going forward. That's why the episode is entitled Null as opposed to Episode 1 which we will be coming out with very shortly. So, since I've been talking this whole time already, I want to introduce Josh from Suggestive Gaming, and I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself, Josh, and then go into what inspired you and when you started playing Metal Gear for the first time. Sure. So, as Greg mentioned, my name is Josh Picard. I'm uh, one member of the YouTube channel Suggestive Gaming. Um, our most successful videos have been... Um, story related based on video game franchises so this is kind of right up my alley um, we were actually planning on doing a video covering the metal gear solid franchise and we were going to involve greg so this is perfect this is like a you know side a to that side b um, but as far as my experience with the metal gear franchise i randomly one day at a either blockbuster or hollywood video who knows <laughs> nobody knows what those are anyway <laughs> <laughs> um, I stumbled across uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 for PS2 and took it home and was like, I have no idea what's going on, but I know I love it. And uh, that kind of ignited this interest in the series. And they were talking about all this stuff, like um, the Shadow Moses incident and Solid Snake and all of this. And I'm like, I have no idea what this is. <laughs> Maybe I should go and find uh, Metal Gear Solid 1. And uh, I did. So I probably, I didn't even get through, like, um, I think I got, like, just to the point where you meet Pliskin in Metal Gear Solid 2 before I'm like, I need to just go back and play the first game. You're like, I'm um, so far lost. I need I need to get the reference material. Exactly. So after that point, I returned that game to the video game store and at some point got my hands on Metal Gear Solid 1 and ended up loving that, like, way more than, like, my first experience with Metal Gear Solid 2. And... uh that took me down the spiral that we all know as Metal Gear. And here we are. How many years later do you think that was probably? Because Metal 20. Gear. Yeah, that's that's got to be about. about. Yeah, I mean, Metal Gear Solid 2, I want to say released in 2002. Does that yeah, sound right? 2001 or 2, I don't remember. And so, yeah. and, and, and so all these years later, and it's still like the ramifications of this game are felt throughout all of gaming. You know, most recently Hideo Kojima released Death Stranding. Uh, which I finished. I don't know. You were playing it, I think. Um, I am. Uh, I'm just finishing up chapter like three, I think. All right. It's, so you're, you're just you're just cracking into it. Um, but... Oh, sure. That's <laughs> the way you want to put it. <laughs> but his influence, uh, I think, is felt in a lot of different games. And what's funny is he himself isn't super original. You know, like when you look at his early games, like you know, you look at the cover of Metal Gear, and it's Kyle Reese from Terminator. Um, mm -hmm. When you look in the strat in the booklet for Metal Gear Two, Big Boss is a picture of Sean Connery. Like it's well, there's a lot of really weird stuff going on, and a lot of his influences came from 
movies and, and media he was consuming at the time. Yeah, he loves Hollywood, and you can definitely tell throughout the years all the stuff he kind of pulls from Hollywood. And um, even his earlier stuff, like Snatcher, if you play Snatcher, that is so, like, Blade Runner light. Yep, Blade Runner meets it's, Terminator, yep. <laughs> basically, yes. So, yeah. but even, like, going back, it's not like he's he's this purveyor of, you know, extreme originality. Uh, even Death Stranding, like, to this day, people are... Um, Comparing that to, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's um, a, a it's not Aeon Flux. It's uh, a vamp for a little bit. I got to look this up. Sure. Uh, well, and so it's funny when you talked about Metal Gear Solid 2 because I remember I, I've played, I played the original Metal Gear when it first came out and I played Snake's Revenge, which obviously is a non-canon port or is, is a non-canon original game made for the NES that was a sequel to Metal Gear in name only. It was not made by Hideo Kojima. The NES version wasn't either, but at least that was a play off of his original game. So now, I, just a, just as a, an aside, um, just because I'm curious about it right now, uh, was uh, Snake's Revenge before the canon Metal Gear 2? Yes. In fact, there's a really interesting story that floated out there, and obviously you believe what you can you know, based on the evidence you have, but something along the lines of someone who worked on Snake's Revenge, and I think the NES port of Metal Gear, was on a train with Kojima, and he had said something like, you should do a proper Metal Gear sequel because we know that the one we did wasn't that great, or something mm -hmm. along those lines, and then it inspired Kojima to then make the sequel that he did, and, uh, and a sequel that no one ever played. Because when you make a reference to Metal Gear Solid 2 and not understanding all the things that they talked about in Metal Gear Solid 1, in Metal Gear Solid 1, they make a bunch of references to Metal Gear 2. And Metal Gear 2 was not available anywhere in the United States. You could only get it on the Japanese computer system, the MSX2. Yeah, and that was another thing that uh, obviously confused me even when I went to play Metal Gear Solid 1 was they're talking about Outer Heaven. There's this Master Miller guy. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I just kind of... Because at that point, I didn't even know that Metal Gear Solid wasn't the first game. Right. <laughs> so I just assumed that this was all just kind of like exp exposition stuff that they just kind of talk about. And then you're like, okay, um, that's just something that happened in these characters' pasts, and I don't know about it, and whatever. Um, but then you find out years later, like, oh, no, that's all stuff that was in a different game in a different country. Well, and there's um, there's some incredibly creative liberties taken too. One one of the main themes of Metal Gear Solid, you run into an iconic character. You run into Gray Fox. Uh, mm -hmm. Gray Fox is the cybernetic ninja who who makes an appearance in the game. Throughout the game, you don't know if he's friend or foe. He's 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 so cool. I mean, he's got this just awesome sword, and then he's camouflage and he's a robot. I mean, like all this stuff's super cool. And then you find out that he was Frank Yeager, Gray Fox, who was who fought Solid Snake in hand-to-hand -hand combat on the minefields of Zanzibar land. That's what he says in Metal Gear Solid. You're like, holy stuff, man, that's incredible. And mm -hmm. then when you play the game, I mean, you're in a room and you're walking around punching him while trying not to step on landmines. So I guess it's not inaccurate. It's just, it's a, they took that idea and they, they were able to make it much more of a story, like cinematic point, even though the actual gameplay of that was, was very, you know bland i guess well that's like an artistic liberty thing right like you you just you see it from this point of view but the characters in reality are you know experiencing this uh this great battle when you know for you it's just two sprites but you know right and for the imagine it's better 
and for the longest time, I'm I'm embarrassed to admit this because I I love Metal Gear. I love the story. It's my favorite part of Metal Gear. But for the longest time, so my brother when he first started playing Metal Gear Solid, I was watching my older brother play it. And when we saw the whole Gray Fox Frank Yeager reveal, and I was like, that's the guy from Snake's Revenge. That's the guy that goes missing. And it had nothing to do with Snake's Revenge. <laughs> but at the time, I was like, because I think in Snake's Revenge, there's a character who you're in regular contact with named Johnny. And about halfway through the game, you go to rescue him, and you find out it's like a fake Johnny. And he tries to kill you, and you kill him. And then at the end credits, it says something along the lines of, you know, uh, you never heard from Johnny again, or you never found what happened to Johnny during the game. <laughs> so you're like, Oh, so then of course I was like in my head, I connected those two games, even though they had nothing to do with each other. I was remembering a game from, you know, fifth, let's see, 97 to, you know, 97 back to, well, Snake's Revenge was probably, Oh gosh, I don't know, 91 or something. So like 90, six, yeah, five, say. six years earlier or something like that. But and, uh, who would have known, Greg, that years later you would have been proved correct. Actually, in Metal Gear Solid, you would have been proved proven correct because Johnny does show up and then later marries Meryl. That's you know, I wonder if you could somehow make that connection. I you know what I in my head it works. I just did. I just did. <laughs> We're done. We this solved Metal Gear. Podcast over. Uh that was our series on Metal Gear. Thank you everybody for taking along. Uh but yeah, so like I was saying earlier, I, I played the original Metal Gear. I have a very vivid memory of this, actually. Uh, I played the original Metal Gear at my cousin Chad's house in Milwaukee. And we were down there visiting. We didn't go down there very often. We were down there visiting. And, of course, what do the kids do when the parents are visiting? You, get, you know, you, Whatever video game you can find, you play it. You know, mm-hmm. and we had they must have rented the game because I don't think we would have rented a game in a town we weren't from. And so they must have rented the game. And it had the most generic clamshell that you would open. It had it. Ha- I, I want to say it had the box art cut out and put into the clamshell. And then inside the clamshell was one of those really terribly indescriptive printings of how to play the game. So it would say how to play. And if you've collect retro games, I'm sure you've seen one of these before where you just open it up and it says how to play. And it says something like hit the A button to shoot, hit the B button to lay grenades or lay landmines or whatever the controls would be for that specific game. And I remember reading that. It was just terrible. But I remember playing the game and just being so blown away by it. And... While certainly well, it would have been terrible if it said A and B on a, on a PlayStation game. Well, exactly. But this was on an NES game, not on the oh, PlayStation game. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. You're talking original Metal Gear. See, I'm still in my childhood <laughs> where I thought Metal Gear Solid was the original Metal Gear. So you have to remember, I'm about 800 years older than you. So now we have to, you know, when I was a kid, Metal Gear for the NES was hot. When you were a kid, it was Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, just another exposition for uh, episode null here. Greg's Greg's a little bit older. I'm just a smidge older. But uh, I, I know it gets a hard time because it's not canon, but I do think Snake's Revenge overall is still a very good game, and uh, it is one of the best soundtracks on the NES. So it's definitely worth playing. Don't listen to people that say it's not fun or it's not worth playing. It definitely is. It's just different, you know, and it's, it's, not, it's not part of the Metal Gear universe. Just call it part of Snake's Revenge universe, and you go from there. Would you, would you say it's like reading a good fan fiction? Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what it felt like. Sure, like like they got the idea right, they got the character right. I mean, I think they call him Lieutenant Colonel Snake or something in that game. Like they just gave him some rank, you know. Like they, hey, he got promoted. Yeah, you know, after you kill you know big boss, you get a whole bunch of uh, you get promoted all over the place. Uh, after you destroy the computer that's controlling Metal Gear. <laughs> exactly. After you blow up that computer, there's you know, you're the king. Basically, you're the king of the United States after that. Uh, and so I or played at least that a Lieutenant Colonel played at least at least i played that i played snake's revenge and both those games left a huge impact on me 
and then, you know, things go on. And during the PS1 era, I had kind of fell out of video games a little bit. Like I had had Final Fantasy VII, I had a PS1, and then I remember selling it all to a friend and I kind of got out of games in general. And then, so I would go and hang out at my brother, my older brother's apartment, and he was playing, you know, he picked up Metal Gear Solid and, and he's like, oh yeah, everyone's saying this game's really good. And, and so I watched him play the majority of it first. And it just, at the time, I had not seen anything that was a video game that had been so cinematic. And I think that's one of those mm-hmm. things that obviously is widely known and, and, and everything now. But at the time, I remember the feeling, like watching in the beginning when there were credits rolling as you were swimming through the beginning. Like you're like watching it like, wait, is this a movie or is this a game? And that was legitimately like a thought you had. Uh, yeah, and it. that's one of those that's one of those things that you forget now because all video games are so cinematic. But like back then, like you put in a game and it was like Super Mario. Like it, all of a sudden Mario just pops up and you're running around a castle. Like it wasn't there weren't intro cutscenes or opening credits or anything like that. Like you're you're right. Like that was revolutionary at the time. Yeah. And you're you're reminding me of I actually lied. My first experience with Metal Gear was not Metal Gear Solid 2. It was a demo on a PlayStation Underground disc that my friend had of Metal Gear Solid 1. And I just remember him making me watch the opening because what it ends in the elevator, basically. Yeah, yep. So, you take the elevator up and then, yep, exactly. And then you get like the logo for Metal Gear Solid and then it's over. But he made <laughs> me watch that just because, and like he made me watch him play through the opening part and then get into the elevator and stuff. And then like once, once he got into the elevator, he's like, you gotta watch. This is the best part. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And it literally was just like when the camera swoops down, when he takes the mask off, and then you see the logo. Like he's just like, look, it's just like a movie. And I'm, it was like crazy at the time. Which is so funny because a little bit of history with the PS1, there was a lot of experimentation with full motion video back then. And so you had games that wanted to be movies. Uh, mm-hmm. some, some, one of my favorite games on PlayStation, it's a terrible game. One of my favorite games is Psychic Detective. The whole thing is full motion video, similar to like a Night Trap or something like that. But Kojima decided to go a different route. Let's make a game that has a presentation of a movie. Let's not make a movie that you play. And, and and there was just it was something about that that really resonated and you know in, in Japan it was really interesting because in Japan most people who played Metal Gear Solid had played Metal Gear 2 they incorporated so many of the things that were introduced in Metal Gear 2 into Metal Gear Solid that a lot of people in Japan thought that Metal Gear Solid was a remake of Metal Gear 2 like a 3D remake which is interesting because there's a lot that's similar to Metal Gear 1 as well um yep even technically that the intro where you go through in the sub the single yeah. person sub and you come up underwater. That's exactly how you show up in the first Metal Gear, in the MSX and the electric version. hallway and the the getting captured or not getting captured, but like all the conversations in the jail cells and yeah, all that. Yeah, being in the jail cell using the remote rockets to disable. Like he took a lot of the same ideas and applied them to a new, a new format, a new 3D format, and it worked so well. And yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder if a lot of that was just Kojima being like, "I've made these games and I'm proud of these moments. I'd like to see them in a new." Um, like an, a, a new point of view. Yeah, or maybe he went as far as to say, I, I want people to experience this because yeah. most people didn't. And if it goes worldwide, PlayStation is huge in the United States. I want my game to be huge in the United States. And so he knew he could recycle a lot of those interesting elements, but of course introduced a whole bunch of new ones, like the Psycho Mantis reading your memory card and, and all that sort of stuff. Which is another, that right there is a perfect example of Kojima being able to just be a like weirdo genius um, because who would have thought 
to like have this psychic character that does you know real world things like reads your memory card moves your controller all of that like that's such a thing you wouldn't even think of to put in a video game and kojima's just like yeah let's do that yeah and and he's known for doing all kinds of wacky stuff like that you know he's known for like originally i guess on the cd for snatcher he wanted to have a special coating of something on it so when it spun in the disc drive it's it would smell like blood uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and now now that got shot down which is probably a good thing i think just like george lucas like hideo kojima probably needs a no person there to be like eh, okay that's a little too far you know to someone to rein him in and i, I i'd say he's got about a 75 percent track record for positive cool unique things in his games and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't you know <laughs> but you take the good with the bad that's true and i'm sure we'll get to a lot of those uh failures in the future absolutely and so it was funny when you mentioned metal gear solid 2 when my story of metal gear solid 2 was i could not wait to play it i was actually working at the software etc in wausau which would later become gamestop and i was like we had the standees for it and i was like i cannot wait for metal gear solid 2 after playing the first one and being so in love with it i was like i just couldn't wait and like many other people though felt a little tricked with the big reveal in that game which mm-hmm. is that you don't play the majority of the game as Solid Snake. And for anyone else, that's a spoiler. It's, you know, like 18 years ago, get over it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I, I don't think that anybody in the world that's a spoiler at this point. And, and since we were talking about crazy Kojima stuff, there were actually videos released where they swapped out Raiden's character model with Solid Snake for big shell parts of the game. So when mm-hmm. they were showing videos out, they were showing it to people. Essentially, they were showing lie lying gameplay because they were trying to keep the secret of Raiden being the playable character which to me like that I, I understand it because it's a big reveal like in the game like it's a it's a twist uh, but that to me just shows the dedication because that probably would have made much more sense if you just revealed that there's a new character in this game like that might have even marketed better because I mean I don't know because people didn't really like Raiden but like to just show like hey we've got a new character like a new this new that new environment new this yeah like it it would almost seem like you could market this new character and you know push that as your marketing but (laughs) kojima was just like no we don't tell anybody about this (laughs) well and i would argue that i think a lot of people didn't like raiden because of the surprise like that was a big part of it yeah they just felt like they were tricked almost you know and and I, i felt the same way like i can say from personal experience i felt like solid snake was my boy and so I got you get to play as him on the tanker. And then you're like, here we go, baby. It's a few years later. You're infiltrating Big Shell. And you're like, who is this? You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and I understand the decision because Kojima's whole thought was like, now you can see Solid Snake from an outsider's point of view. And, you know, um, he's more of like a mentor figure to to Raiden later on. So I think that that was a cool decision. Definitely. But at the same time, like, yeah, it's a little weird to like tell everybody this is the new chapter for Solid Snake and you're going to play as him and look, he's fighting Fortune. She's got a big gun. And then you're just like, oh, no, never mind. I'm like, just, this, psych. This, this prissy boy who's getting yelled at by his girlfriend the entire game. <laughs> well, and it's funny because they do something kind of similar when they were releasing the trailers for Metal Gear Solid 4, some of the cinematics. And in Metal Gear Solid 4, there's a part where you see Solid Snake young. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, my God, he's going to reverse the aging. Oh, my God, it's Solid Snake, you know? And then really it was his, like, mask. Face camo. The yeah. face camo, yeah. And so you're like, oh, 
<laughs> but but you can once you unlock it, you can play the whole game like that, Greg. Yes, you can. And uh, but it doesn't it doesn't fix my broken heart, Josh. It's it just. You know. uh, but 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 I so I totally I'm with you on that. Like I respect what he's trying to do, and in the era of not making the best decision for necessarily the marketing of the game, he made the best decision to try to involve people in the game. And so mm-hmm. I get that. And that even carries, I think, all the way into Metal Gear Solid Five when he wanted you to be Big Boss. You create a character that becomes Big Boss as opposed to, you know, like I, I guarantee on a piece of paper he wrote, the player is Big Boss, you know? Well, and that's, and that's I mean, that's a big part of Metal Gear Solid 2 as well because at the beginning, this is something a lot of people forget about that game, but at the beginning you have to put in your name um, for the dog tags and your blood type and your birthday. And um, it, Raiden gets these dog tags, and then at the vi- you forget about it like throughout the game, and then at the very end, like Snake points at the dog tags, Raiden looks at it, and you're reminded like, oh yeah, I, this was I'm this, you know, I did this. Yeah. These are my experiences, not just these characters. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Like like I helped Solid Snake beat right. the game instead of me controlling him i controlled myself helping him yeah it's i killed very the president yep. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and now we're on a list somewhere oh damn it don't isolate that oh god they're already after me <laughs> here they come we're not even live yet it's just recording there they are uh so i guess the last thing i want to say too is i just wanted to reiterate that we're not going to be talking a lot about this sort of thing once we're doing the podcast we wanted to get this out of the way in episode zero so you got to kind of you got a taste of josh and i a little bit what we're about, why we like the game so much, how much we know about the game, hopefully, so you can trust us when we're telling you things. But then now you'll get to hear us talk about the story and the mythos of the universe. A long time ago, I don't know if I ever told you this, Josh, but I had an idea a long time ago. I always wanted to make like a, almost like a History Channel style documentary on Metal Gear and treat it as if the world and story of Metal Gear were real. And then, you know, have it like be the host and walk out with your suit, you know, and there's a there's one of those stupid uh, ivory uh, stone pillars, you know, with like a, a statue head on it. And I'm like this, you know, in the in the in the 1960s, this happened, you know, and make it sound very real. And I thought, well, I don't have the production quality for that. I'm not I'm not really good in scripted stuff like that. Just give me let me let me riff. Let me ad lib. That's my wheelhouse. And so I thought, why not do a Metal Gear podcast? And I'm so glad that you're as passionate about it as I am, because. I want to talk, I want to focus on my favorite part of Metal Gear, which is the story. It's the universe that Kojima built, all the all the pieces that he put together over 25 years of, of amazing games. And only some of it is shoehorned. And only some of it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little but, bit of retconning, just a little bit. But yeah, I'm glad we, I'm glad we got to just have this little, uh, you know, 20 minute or so just kind of uh, back and forth because it is it is cool to just get back into those memories of um, all of these games. And I am very excited about getting into the story because, again, that's what originally pulled me into this franchise and that's what kept me along for the ride the whole time. Like, yes, the gameplay always was super fun until 5, but the story <laughs> is what... Is what um, cements everything together and it's it's the glue that holds the whole franchise together. And somehow, some way, Kojima was able to not only maintain this, you know, huge narrative that spans uh, literal decades, probably close to a century in the in-game, you know, narrative, um, but he was able to bring something new to the table with every installment that somehow not only fit, but expanded on all of that and gave you 
this new appreciation for certain characters or certain events. And exploring all of that in this podcast is going to be extremely fun, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm so excited. And what what we're going to do first, I think, is we're going to go through each game and we're going to talk about the story and the universe as that game. And we're going to build upon it almost as if you were the player playing these games for the first time. So we're going to go through the story. So you're going to get the story built up as we go through each individual game. And then what we're going to want to do is after that, because, you know, that's not there aren't that many games, right? <laughs> you can't have a podcast that only goes eight episodes or whatever. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to do after that, though, is then we'll start doing character highlights, character focuses. We're going to really dig into some of these characters because after you get really deeper in, into the games, there is such a history there. And there is such a, a history that's been built upon and there's connections and this person's the child of this person and this person knows this person and this person killed this person. And it's so it's so interesting how it all works. It all fits. And like you said earlier, you know, there's a little bit of retconning, a little bit of a little bit of, you know, patchwork. But for the most part, a really well put together universe that, that really stands, you know, it stands the test of time. It really holds up. So what we're saying is this is just a giant love story <laughs> to yeah. To Metal Gear. Yeah, if you don't like Metal Gear and you don't like Hideo Kojima, like just you won't like it because we're going to be talking about all that all the time. But if you've never played Metal Gear and you've always been curious, I hope you stick around because I think the two of us can really, you know, catch you up to speed on the story. And who knows, maybe it'll even inspire you to want to play the game too. It's definitely what I'm hoping. <laughs> if nothing else, it'll inspire me to want to play the games again. So, Oh, yeah, uh, I'm definitely going to. <laughs> so that has been episode Null. Episode zero of Metal Gear Salad, a new Metal Gear podcast brought to you by Josh from Suggestive Gaming. Where can we find you on YouTube, Josh? Uh, YouTube.com slash Suggestive Gaming or SuggestiveGaming.com will take you to the same place. And then uh, we're on Twitter too, Suggestive Games, and I, I think that's it. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at GameTradeGreg. I also own a used video game store. I could probably tell people that. Um, I own a used video game store in De Pere, Wisconsin, and uh, besides being a Metal Gear aficionado, I too have a YouTube channel. I do it with a few other fellas. Uh, it's the Drop Rate, so you can go to youtube.com slash drop rate, uh, or you can follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash the drop rate. And we'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening. Have a good one. <laughs>